0: Okay, so today, Rose, who's celebrating her four years in recovery, has agreed to share for us. So the floor is yours, Rose. Thank you, Louisa. Um, Thank you for asking me to share. Um, I'm going to say my name is Rose, uh, and I'm a grateful member of Um, (laughs) don't, I don't often say my name, but seeing as I said I'd be recorded, I thought I'd better do it. Um, and that was what I came up with as the way to introduce myself. And and I really am grateful um, to have found this group and to be part of it. And and I didn't know what to talk about today. And I'm feeling unbelievably nervous. I haven't done much preparation, which takes me right outside my comfort zone. Basically, I would much rather have a script that I've spent a long time working on Um But, you know, I'm trying to do things a bit differently. I'm trying to get less hooked up on the idea that it has to be perfect and um, just see. So I've made these really flimsy notes, and now I'm feeling like I shouldn't have bothered at all because actually these flimsy notes are making me feel more nervous than having nothing at all. So what I thought about after Louisa asked me if I wanted to share for my anniversary was I thought, what is an anniversary you know you know what does it mean a sober anniversary so you know i inevitably was casting my mind back and i realized that a sober anniversary is a real mixed bag and when i think to all the other shares i've heard from other people about anniversaries you know it's not it's not like a birthday <laughs> it's not all all hearts and flowers and exciting things you know anniversaries are all tied up with um some difficult memories as well as some good ones so what does my anniversary mean to me well first of all I'm really happy to take what I can get out of it so I'm happy to get your party poppers and I'm happy to get nice messages in the chat and I'm happy to get my half hour of attention by sharing and I'm grateful to have that acknowledgement within myself and from others that it's a worthwhile achievement, that it's something special you know, and just worth marking. And I'm not very good at that. I, 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 I know I desire it, that attention and that sort of um, people being nice to me. Um, but I'm also quite resistant to it. You know, I'm quite resistant to, to taking people being nice to me, if that makes any sense. And also, I would say about my anniversary Louisa announced it as my recovery anniversary. And, and I don't feel that that's actually very accurate. I have had four years alcohol-free. Uh, my recovery time is is less than that, really. And, and I'll explain what I mean. Um, I've, I was thinking about my drinking. I don't often describe myself as an alcoholic. And I've talked about the day I didn't drink you know the first day that i was not drinking quite often but i i somebody said something to me the other day and and made me think about the sort of immediate drinking in the last couple of days before i stopped and on the 24th i drank too much i drank more than i normally do because my pattern of drinking is i drink between 5 15 p.m and 7 p.m you could probably set your watch by it. Um, And uh, my drinking was really quite predictable in that sense. But on the 24th, I drank more than I should. And I don't think I drank over a longer period of time, but I just went for it. I went for it a bit, you know, when I started at 5.15, I went for it faster than normal. And I know I drank more than I would normally do, more than I wanted because I got a bit loud I got a bit leery, I got a bit clumsy, um, you know. And I was there were lots of stressful things going on. I don't want to delve too deep into the sort of surrounding things. I want to stick with what how it was for me emotionally. But, you know, I drank too much. And then that means in the middle of the night, I woke up with the, oh, God, that was a mistake. Need to pee, got the hot flushes. You know, not able to sleep. It was it was annoying not to be able to sleep. And a lot of, well, you we won't be having a drink tonight, will you? You know, and that was a stupid idea. Um, and or, or listing all the reasons why I wouldn't be having a drink the next day at 5.15. But 5.15 came and I drank two half glasses of dregs from the bottles that were left in the fridge from the day before. I mean, that's the insanity. I didn't want to drink that Saturday, the the 25th. I didn't need to drink. I had lots of things happening the following day for which it was really important that I got a good night's sleep. Two half glasses, this is not gonna do anything to me chemically. It wasn't, it didn't taste like, the only thing those bottle, half, you know, half glasses of wine were good for was pouring their way down the sink. But I still drank them. And I remember thinking, oh, I do hope I don't have to share them with anybody else. And and not only did I think that, I made sure I didn't have to share them with anybody else. I don't think I gave anybody a chance to ask to share. Them. I drank those two half glasses of wine. I mean, That's just insanity. There was no point to it at all. It was the obsession. I I don't know what it was. And the next day went really badly, you know, and, and I hadn't before all this. I had really had no thought of giving up drinking. I wasn't concerned about my drinking. As far as I'm concerned, my drinking reflected what I see portrayed to me in the media as a normal way for a middle aged woman to drink. A pre-dinner drink and then share a bottle of wine with your husband. You know, every movie you watch, every TV programme, you know, that's that's perfectly acceptable behavior. So I wasn't really thinking about my drink, I wasn't thinking about controlling it or changing it. And the next day I had a really difficult day, things went very wrong. I was highly stressed, and I reached the end of my tether completely, and, and I was shutting down. You know, I'd done all I could in that day, things were going wrong, but I'd made plans for the next day and my father then offered us a drink where we were on on the 26th he offered us a drink and I and into my mind came I'm not having a drink now and I'm never going to drink again and and that's what happened to me and and um you know I think some people might say oh she had a spiritual experience God swept down and sorted it out for her and and I, 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 that's not necessarily what I believe, but I know it didn't come from my conscious control. It didn't come from my willpower. It just came absolutely like a guillotine. And and the honest, me being honest and real is that I have never wanted to drink again since. Despite all the crappy things that have happened <laughs> since the 26th of January 2020, it just has not Presented itself to me as something that's desirable or that I've wanted. And I've learned since I've come into recovery not to be complacent about that. I'm just trying to be honest with you about how it felt, that it felt absolute. Um, But I'm so grateful because I don't know that I could have fought for my sobriety. You know, I've met people in these rooms who have to fight every day not to have a drink. And and that hasn't been like that for me. And I'm just, I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I just think I'm so grateful because I am not a striver. And it is not difficult at all for me to play the tape forward and see that where I was at, I was on the edge of a precipice. And and my drinking was about to take me to to places that I, I really don't think that I would have come back from and that would have um, would they have killed me? I don't know, that's a bit dramatic, but you know, would have changed my life in ways that would really have not been at all what I want or what's good for me. So I'm really grateful that I don't have a desire to drink. So I stopped drinking on the 26th of January and I haven't really had to to do too much battle with alcohol since then. But I wasn't in recovery and I wasn't any more manageable. You know, my life was completely unmanageable still, you know. Um, the COVID pandemic hit, you know, globally, domestically, things were just getting really, really unmanageable in my life. And I, I had no awareness around that at all at the time. Um you know, just what just wasn't coping at all well. And, um, you know, and also what happened, because I stopped drinking, I, I changed quite significantly. I changed some of my behaviours quite significantly. And actually for my family, who who were really, you know, even though I was drinking, you know, I was quite predictable. Our life was very predictable. I was very in control. I describe it as like I was the captain of the family ship you know, everybody else towed the line. I knew where we were going. I knew what I was doing. And I was making all these significant changes sort of in myself emotionally and really not having any awareness around how that was impacting on my family. And that, in actual fact, me making these unilateral changes to myself without having any awareness around how that was impacting on my family was really taking things unmanageable. And what happened at the end of 2021, in October 2021, I discovered that my husband had been acting out on one of his addictions for six months. And that there's my step one. You know, that's when I hit the wall. That's when the road that I thought was stretching out in front of me just disappeared. And I thought, you know, <laughs> i know that i just uh, went into complete shutdown I, I, I you know that feeling of dying but not really dying you know i just couldn't see see where i was going to go from there complete um what's the word in step 1 admitted that i couldn't control things that everything was unmanageable and um but i'm not a helpless person um, you know, and I went looking for help, you know, I've got the internet, (laughs) I can go shopping on Amazon, I'm, um, you know, I got books, I got sorted out, and within about a week, I was attending a non-program linked to my husband's addiction, and that is when I first came into what you would say is recovery. Even though I joined a fellowship I was working on it, and when i arrived in that anon non fellowship, I was in victim state you know look what this person has done to me for me <laughs> you know i i expect and you know I know that non groups have to deal with this when newcomers come in you know that, that that's just what happens at that moment um, in the story, so so I get into my anon fellowship, and and I do start learning quite quickly, and I start making some changes, and I start seeing that I can't do anything about my husband or these other people. All I can do is is try and sort some things out for myself, and that is quite difficult, or I find that quite difficult in an anon program. You know the requirement for membership is that somebody else has done a particular thing so so just the requirement for membership takes me away from myself a bit and and also in the anon fellowship i was in there were some very dominant and religious women who were controlling um, that fellowship and I just could feel myself getting more and more trapped, more and more uncomfortable and not able to um, improve myself um, in in this non-fellowship. And that's when I went looking for something else and when I found secular recovery. I mean, I found secular recovery by accident. I, I just thought, oh, I know what I can Try AA because I don't drink. They'll have to let me in, you know. So that shows you how little I knew about AA. You know, I thought I'll get away with going there because I don't drink, so they'll they'll let me in. And um, and of course, when if you look for AA fellowships, you've got much more choice uh, than in some of the you know in in some of the other anonymous things. You know, I certainly wouldn't have been able to find a secular fellowship, um, but for my the issues that I was facing at that time. So I, I went looking for secular stuff and I think um, I went to one meeting and basically a Tusnua regular wrote me out a prescription for Tusnua is <laughs> basically how I see it. She took one look at me, said, right, you need to go to Tusnua, wrote down the name and number and the Zoom things and said, off you go, you know, they have a meeting every day. And that was really great. Uh, because I turned up at Tassieua, and I I I wouldn't be able to put it into words, but I'm I'm came home, you know, I was at home straight away, and maybe that might not even make sense on paper to anybody, but I I I just thought, yeah, this is where I need to be, uh, and that's proved to be the case for me, um, and. I don't know why, but I found it really supportive, really helpful. I feel I've achieved a lot of change since I came here. And, uh, you know, for a while, my husband came to a lot of meetings with me and my children have come to meetings at Tasnoa. And, and even though that doesn't happen very much now, that's been a really, uh, really fundamental part of my recovery that I've been able to integrate my family into that. Um, where am I? I've written one one of these useless notes I've written is where am I at today? So where I'm at today is I come to Tusnua meetings. I've come to Tusnua meetings and they help me with check in. They help me with uh, a community and a fellowship connection. You know this is the group where I think uh, you know these people are my my friends and they've really got my back. Um, you know I feel comfortable here. But I also went back to my original Anon fellowship, Uh, not the same group. I found a group running out of Australia. Um, I did some work on myself, but then saw I do also need separate support from myself as an Anon, you know. Um, And and I find running the two programs alongside is is really helpful for me uh, and necessary. And that group is quite focused, it's traditional. We work on the literature Um, I'm with people who have had very similar experiences to me so I can relate to them on specific issues rather than the sort of general relationship I have with people here. And I also um, attend CODA. I find CODA the most challenging thing to do. I don't feel at ease. I find the concepts quite difficult but I know that it is relevant to me. Um, you know, I can see that underlying any of the behaviours, the drinking, the control, the anxiety, the depression, underlying all those things is how I relate with other people and manage my relationships with other people. So uh, I think the code work is important, but it's the work I find the most challenging. Um, and I wanted to just before I stop talk about the tools I wrote a list of the tools that I use to try and keep myself in good recovery so that's not just not picking up a drink that's just of improving myself um, and keeping myself steady and I attend Tusnua meetings I attend my anon meetings and I participate in my CODA meetings uh, what did I write? I write, I use discernment to make good decisions about how I spend my recovery time with whom. Um, and I've put discernment without judgment, and I think I've got better at that. You know, I make the connections I need to, I offer the support I can, but I don't stay in places that aren't supporting my recovery or the people that are. Dis- destabilizing my recovery it might not be anything to do with them it's their fault it's just you know we're not in the right place together then they're not you know I use my discernment to keep myself safe I volunteer for service and that really has helped me but I try to be mindful of my skills and my limitations and what I've got capacity for. And if I if a service you know, if an opportunity for service comes up, I try and examine my motivations. You know, am I trying to people please? You know, am I looking for some sort of validation? I, I just have to be mindful about my motivations. Um, I try to be honest about myself and stay in my reality. That's really important to me. No exaggeration, no minimum, you know, minimizing. Um if I if I do that. I am definitely better. And on the same point, I try to communicate that to others. You know, it's no good if I pretend you haven't upset me because I think it's my responsibility. You know, I need to communicate with you about where I'm at in my reality for there to be any chance of us to have a relationship or or move forward or learn about each other. So I I am trying to communicate honestly. A self-report. find that really helpful. So Even though I don't think I'm at risk of drinking again, I self-report even the slightest thing. You know, if I stare at the liqueur chocolates at the checkout for too long, I tell on myself in a meeting. You know, if I dream about a glass of wine, I tell on myself in a meeting. You know, if I was um, mean to the children, I I I try to self-report. I feel it takes the sting out of it and it stops me pushing it inside myself where where it can only do damage. Uh, and I try to be loving and supportive to others without taking on their problems and making them my responsibility. Um, that is a challenge, you know, I have to really watch rescuer type behaviours. I have got much better at that. You know, I would have wanted to be every single person's fairy godmother, you know. I want to persuade the whole world that living an alcohol free life is just the best thing ever, you know, and all that sort of thing. And and I know that I can't afford to take myself to those places that I just have to be mindful of myself and offer what I can without without becoming emotionally entrenched in what other people are doing. And then there are tools. I also wanted to say there are tools I don't use. You know, I'm not running a perfect recovery program. I'm just doing the best I can. So I'm not working steps. I've tried, I've made a bit of a pig's ear of it. I'm sort of semi-trying occasionally. I mean, they that that might come. I'm not saying it's not a good tool. I'm just saying I have to be honest with you and saying it's it's not working for me and I'm not managing it at the moment. Um we shall see, you know, watch this space. Um I don't read recovery literature either. I don't think I've managed to make it from the front cover to the back cover of any recovery book I've read. Um don't know why particularly uh, but that's not something I'm using at the moment Um, and I don't have a sponsor or sponsees I've tried both of those things and I find it really difficult to manage that relationship I find the power imbalance very difficult when I'm what either end you know um, I I find that quite difficult and, and that hasn't worked for me, which I suppose is a good thing. You know, if I'm not actively working the steps, then it's difficult difficult to be either a sponsor or a sponsee. But maybe that'll come. And I don't pray meditate and the journaling's gone by the wayside as well. Um that's okay. You're not gonna chuck me out for that. Um I'm allowed to work the programme that works for me. And I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm really so grateful to be here. I'm I'm really grateful to have found the fellowship. It really helps helps me um stay steady and and be able to to cope with the things that that life throws me. I've I've made some good friends, but I've also got lots of loving acquaintances here and I feel very um safe and, and welcome and supported in in at Tusnua and j- just knowing that the fellowship exists globally is something that's really helpful for me um it's sort of a feeling that I'll never have to be alone um in in being a complicated person you know I'll never be alone in being a complicated person and there'll always be somebody who I can turn to and who will listen to me so I think that's me done, Louisa. I'd really like to hear from some other people. and I've spoken easily long enough. Uh, so I really want to say thank you to everybody who's here and anybody who listens to this. And particularly thank you to you, Louisa, for asking. me. Thanks.